We all know to call 911 if we're having a physical health emergency or a fire or something. And 988 is the new national three-digit number for anybody who's having a mental health or a suicide crisis that they could pick up the phone and call and there'd be somebody on the other end of the phone to talk to. So there are trained counselors and then states and localities are also building capacity to be able to respond to people who need response. And so that's another huge area that National Council has been focused on because our members provide those kinds of crisis services around the country. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Charles Ingolia, President and CEO of the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, or the National Council. Chuck, welcome to the show. Joanna, what a pleasure to be here with you today. Hey, so tell us about the National Council. You're doing really important work. I'm so lucky to be able to work at the National Council, a 60-year-old organization now that was started to make community mental health a reality in this country. And so today we have 3,400 members. These are organizations around the country that provide vital mental health and substance use services and supports to their communities. It's such an honor to represent them. So, Chuck, who are your members? What types of organizations become members of the National Council? Yeah, so our members are mostly not-for-profit or government-affiliated or government-run organizations that provide safety net mental health and substance use services. So they're predominantly Medicaid-financed and serving low-income populations. And so they're in communities around the country. And tell us about their services. Well, you know, the interesting thing about mental health and substance use services is that every state kind of organizes it and has their own spin on things. But in general, our members operate outpatient mental health and substance use services, so counseling. And that for a lot of people, more serious mental illnesses are these, you know, kind of other kinds of services they might get, like assertive community treatment or psychosocial rehabilitation programs. Our members also run everything from like detox to residential substance use treatment provide recovery support services. So it's a really wide range. It's a wide range of organizations. So in some places, it would be like you would think of a community mental health center and other places. It could be a Catholic charities or a Lutheran social services. Every state is a little bit different about who they contract with. But the goal, right, is to make sure people get the prevention, treatment and recovery services that they need to lead whole and complete lives to have mental well-being. Chuck, during the pandemic, mental health was of huge concern. So what was that like for your members? Oh, my gosh. 
Well, I'll just tell you, Joanna, like the first week that everything shut down, it was a Sunday night about 8 p.m. And I got a call from my board chair saying, Chuck, if you don't fix telehealth reimbursement, you know, all of your members are going out of business. So you could imagine that lit a little bit of a fire under me. And we got very involved in making sure that telehealth was available. So what you were trying to do really fast at the start of the pandemic was allow telehealth to take place and get properly reimbursed because people couldn't leave their houses and yet they needed medical care and they needed mental health care. Absolutely. Early on in the pandemic, you know, we were just collecting information because, again, every state has their own way of doing this. And some states were thinking about it in a very narrow way. And what we were able to do is collect information for, like, how was New York doing it? How was Wisconsin? Put that all together and share that. And then we have a network of state associations. They could then go and use that with their regulators to say, hey, maybe we don't need to be so narrow. (laughs) Look what so-and-so is doing. And you can imagine, Joanna, if you remember early in the pandemic, Congress was passing laws that had implementation dates before anybody could put out regulations. So there was just so much confusion. And so, you know, early in the pandemic, we just had spent a lot of time just trying to answer people's questions. We had weekly calls with our network of state associations and just trying to keep them informed the best we could. Wow. Hey, so we're climbing out of the pandemic, I think. Gosh, the cases are rising again, but, you know, CNN says it's not bad. But anyway, we're climbing out of the pandemic. Some say we're out. So what are the mental health issues today as we're getting past COVID or at least the pandemic part of COVID? I think about it in two ways, Joanna. First of all, you know, the federal agency responsible for mental health and substance use in this country is called SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And they've said for years that mental illness and substance use disorders are real, common, and treatable. But I don't think it's been since the last couple of years that most people actually understood or kind of had any kind of frame of reference for that. If there was anything good that came from the pandemic is that more and more people realize that issues like depression and anxiety happen and that there are ways that you can get treatment and get better. There's more incidents. You know, people are reporting more that they're feeling anxious or depressed, which makes sense, right? Social isolation has consequences. Think about how disruptive all of our lives were in terms of accessing work, school, friends, other kinds of support. I've been also equally amazed at the amount of support that Congress has brought forward in terms of new programming and funding. You know, I could say 2007 was the Senate Health Committee, Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee had a hearing on mental health. And that was the first hearing on mental health that they had had in 10 years. Wow. Last year, there were so many hearings in Congress about mental health and substance use issues, we couldn't barely keep track of all of that. And so we've seen, you know, that kind of a huge change in terms of interest as well as investment. Hey, so Chuck, before we get into the things that the National Council is doing to thrive and thriving you are, let's talk about your journey. So how did you get to become president and CEO of the National Council? Luck, Joanna, and, you know, happenstance. So Well, I'll just start at the very beginning. You know, I moved to D.C. as an 18-year-old kid from suburban Detroit. 
And I started volunteering at a shelter for homeless women and was very confused because it seemed obvious to me that a lot of these women had mental illness and I couldn't understand why they were homeless. And I started hanging out with the social workers there, trying to take them to get more stable housing and was just surprised at the way systems worked. It didn't really seem to help people. And so I made a decision to major in social work and I wanted to do policy and I got my social work degree. I was working at a clinic in DC and a friend of mine was the president of an association and I got a job at his association and that just started this journey of working at a number of different associations in DC and working for the federal government for a while. And then I ended up here 18 years ago and somehow four years ago, I became CEO. It's been an incredible journey, one I could have never anticipated. So Chuck, what kind of positions have you held at the National Council that led you finally to the chief exec job? Yeah, so I started, I built our public policy department So for 14 years, I was senior VP over our public policy and practice improvement departments. And those departments really focused on, you know, working with Congress and the administration to influence legislation, regulation, payment policy, at the same time, helping clinics anticipate what's happening in Washington and what might that mean in terms of service delivery, but also hearing from our members about the challenges they were having and try to come up with solutions regulatory or legislative solutions to help address those problems. Let's turn to the National Council. You are thriving as an organization. And one of the things that you say has really kind of fueled your success is a program you call Mental Health First Aid. So what is that? I mean, I'm like, you know, a Boy Scout leader and I'm trained in first aid and CPR, but you have something called Mental Health First Aid. Yeah. So we have the opportunity to be the national implementers in this country of mental health first aid, which is an international program available in 29 countries. So we're the licensee in the United States to bring it national. Mental health first aid was a program started in Australia by a woman who was a nurse and her husband is a mental health services researcher. And in midlife, this woman had a depressive episode and ended up getting hospitalized and was surprised that her fellow workers, other nurses, had a hard time talking about depression and talking about her treatment journey. And so she said, how do we come up with a way to normalize talking about mental health and substance use disorders and also creating an environment where it's okay to ask for help? And so she and her husband worked together to create this program that they have been evaluating ever since. And so mental health first aid is a course that teaches regular people the signs and symptoms of mental illness and how to have a supportive conversation with someone who might be having an anxiety attack or having a schizophrenic episode, et cetera. So it's a way of engaging in conversation and then trying to help them get into treatment. And so you talked about being a Boy Scout leader and having CPR. You know, we're much more likely in our daily lives to encounter somebody who's having a depressive episode or an anxiety disorder than we are to have someone who's having a heart attack. And so that's why we like to say that mental health first aid should be as common as CPR. Chuck, how has this program fueled your growth? So, Joanna, you just mentioned earlier about coming out of the pandemic and how people responded. I think there's growing recognition across all sectors 
of our country that we need to do more to educate and to make mental illness and substance use accessible. And so we have school districts that are mandating mental health training for school personnel, and that's everybody from teachers to bus drivers to janitors, you know, people who come in contact with children. So we see a lot of growth there. And also lots of businesses are just trying to figure out how do they better equip their managers and their staff to be supportive of one another. So that's been another area where we've seen a lot of growth. And lastly, in the, you know, right before the pandemic, we launched a version of mental health first aid that's targeted at teenagers. So it's taught in high schools to students in the 10th to 12th grade. And like New Jersey has made teen mental health first aid a key component of their COVID recovery plan. And so you're teaching this and you're getting funded to teach this or you're licensing the program? How's that work? Yeah, so we train instructors and then instructors make the course available in their local communities. And so we, it's a train-the-trainer model. So we have a network of national trainers who then train instructors and then instructors deliver the program. Amazing. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things we brought Mental Health First Aid to this country 12 years ago without any understanding of what the trajectory was. And we just trained over 3 million people cumulatively just a few months ago. Our goal is to train 22 million people. And there's a rationale behind that, that all of us have about 12 or 14 people in our lives that we're close to. And we figure if we can train 22 million people in this country, then every one of us is likely to have somebody in our orbit who's been trained in mental health first aid who can be a resource to us if we need it. Wow, what a great goal. It's a little daunting, but yes, we're working at it slowly but surely. You're on your way, though, if you've trained 3 million and you're growing. So congratulations. Thanks. Hey, let's turn to something else. So the National Council does a whole lot of advocacy. If you go to the website today, there's a headline that reads, President Joe Biden, Senator Debbie Stabenow, call for improvements to mental health care coverage and tout success of certified community behavioral health clinics. Tell us about this. It sounds important. Well, first of all, they did this at an event in the East Room of the White House last week, which I had never been in before. It was a little mind-boggling to be there and quite humbling. I think if you look at the evolution of the mental health and substance use system in this country, it's historically been separate from healthcare and also kind of like the ugly stepchild. So it doesn't get as much you know, attention, love, or money. And so the notion of certified community behavioral health clinics is to create a corollary in our healthcare system to primary care. So within primary care right now, there are federally qualified health centers that provide really important primary care services all over the country. And certified community behavioral health clinics are the idea that mental health and substance use should be treated comparably, should have a similar kind of structure. And so that's the idea here. Last year in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the gun legislation that Congress passed, they included a provision that would earmark $8 billion for states to expand CCBHCs. And so that's what Senator Stabenow and the president were talking about last week. So talk to me about the public policy that you're doing and the issues that are most important to you. Yeah. So, you know, it continues to be funding 
I mentioned at the top of the show that our members serve primarily folks who are uninsured, who are on Medicaid. And so you can imagine that continues to be tough to make sure you can actually serve them adequately. So a lot of our focus is on, you know, appropriations and Medicaid policy. And then we also have a wonderful thing happening in this country right now, where several years ago, Congress designated a three-digit number that's available anywhere in this country, 988. So we all know to call 911 if we're having a physical health emergency or a fire or something. And 988 is the new national three-digit number for anybody who's having a mental health or a suicide crisis that they could pick up the phone and call and there'd be somebody on the other end of the phone to talk to. So there are trained counselors and then states and localities are also building capacity to be able to respond to people who need response. And so that's another huge area that National Council has been focused on because our members provide those kinds of crisis services around the country. So anywhere in the country, if I dial 988, this is now federally mandated, just like 911, and I will talk to someone who can help me or help a loved one. You'll be connected to a network of call centers. There'll be somebody, a trained counselor on the other end of that phone to talk to. Chuck, how do you let the public know about 988? (laughs) I didn't know about it. I mean, I know about 911 and my kids know about it. You know, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of 988, and I think there's been two things. One, I think people have been a little nervous to like promote it too soon because we want to make sure we actually have adequate capacity, and Congress has really stepped up to strengthen the call center network. And two, we just all need to do better about letting each other know about this. We're hoping that the federal government will be doing a public you know, kind of awareness campaign, but any ideas that you or your listeners have, We're very open to that because I agree with you. We need to make sure more people know about this. So, Chuck, I'm going to tell all my clients because pretty much all my clients care about mental health. They either care about the mental health of their members or their members care for the mental health of others. So I will be sure and tell everyone about 988 and tell them to spread the word about 988. That is wonderful. Thanks, Joanna. You just had an annual meeting in May. And you're already starting planning for the meeting next year. So tell us about your meeting this year because it was a big success. Yeah, it was a big success in terms of, you know, our members don't get a lot of love, right? You know, that they do really hard jobs. And so we try to make sure that our annual meeting is a celebration for them, that it's more than just education, that they also feel rewarded and respected for the work that they do. And part of what we do that is to make sure we have really great speakers, Rob Lowe kicked off our conference. What? I know. People were very excited. And, you know, he's a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorders. And he talked about his recovery journey and really thanked our members for the work that they do to help people like him achieve recovery. Now, I will just point out, Joanna, that I spoke right before Rob Lowe and the audience rated me a little bit higher than Rob. So the first time in my life, (laughs) I might be more popular than Rob Lowe never happened again. But to any of you association folks, we also had Daniel Pink speak the next day about his new book, The Power of Regret. Amazing book. It's an amazing book. He's an amazing speaker who makes it really relevant and really offered a lot of concrete tips for folks. So I get nothing from this other than encouraging good speakers. But you know, Daniel Pink was a home run. 
Chuck, did you try to do some new and different things to make this year's annual meeting a success or somehow different for the members as they come back to annual meetings? Well, one of the things we did, which we had never done before, is we offered meetups for different folks. So we had like an LGBTQ meetup, an African-American and several others was the first time we had tried doing that. And we got some positive feedback about the idea, maybe some idea suggestions for enhancing, you know, how we go about doing that in the future. The other thing that we've done over the last few years is we've really tried to make our exhibit hall a place people want to come. So we have all kinds of games and things that people can do there. And I don't know if other people do this, but probably the most popular thing that we have in our exhibit hall every year is a place where people can interact with puppies and then adopt them if they want to. The puppy park is always the most popular part of our exhibit hall. Where do the puppies come from? We work with a local organization that brings over puppies and then you can actually adopt them. And every year, all the puppies get adopted. And I'm happy to follow up with you to give you that info. Oh, let's put a link in the show notes so that people can have a puppy park at their trade show. I'm going to a trade show if there are puppies running around or at least able to be petted. Yes, you can go in and spend time. Yeah, people love it. You know, Chuck, we used to have dogs in our office when we were in Alexandria. And I could tell that when the dogs were in the office, that the stress level was lower. (laughs) Because when people needed a break, they would borrow a dog Or you would see people like sprawled out in the hallway playing with the dog and you could just feel their stress level going down. Yeah. And then we moved to Arlington and the landlord said, we can't have dogs. And it was one of the saddest days of my professional (laughs) career. (laughs) Amazing. Hey, Chuck, before we go, how's membership? Yeah, Joanna, it's an incredible thing. You know, we have an all-time high. We have 3,400 members. When I came in the National Council, we had 800 last two years, we've had 99% renewal rate. So it's incredible. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we worked really hard during COVID to get resources, information to our members. And then, you know, some of the other successes we've had from a public policy perspective that people want to be part of that. So it's been incredible. Well, congratulations, Chuck. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing for the mental health community. And thank you to your members for what they're doing in our communities. I hope you'll come back and continue to tell us about the 988 journey and everything that you're doing. Joanna, it's a pleasure. And I, you know, our members, these organizations that provide mental health services, they go above and beyond every day. And it's such an honor to be able to support them. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.